Hare Krishna. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to present to you all what our International Society for Christian Consciousness stands for. Krishna Consciousness, the word Krishna Consciousness although implies that being conscious about Krishna but the actual term for Krishna Consciousness in Sanskrit is Krishna Bhakti and Krishna Bhakti means love for Krishna. Not only just love for Krishna, it is even more profound and more precise with this expression of love. It's not just love, it's the expression of love through practical service. Therefore Prabhupada often used the expression devotional service. When he translated the word bhakti, Prabhupada considered it to be devotional service. Not only devotion, not only love, but service, which is the actual expression. Often Love is used as an expression in describing just some sentiment. But actual love is expressed through some action. And that is what ISKCON stands for. Srila Prabhupada came here, Srila Prabhupada came to the West to teach everybody how to love Krishna and how to express that love for Krishna. And Srila Prabhupada very clearly pointed out that what goes on in the name of love in this world is not really love. It's actually lust. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, it has been described, the difference between love and lust has been described as the desire for gratifying one's own senses is lust. But the desire to give pleasure to Krishna's senses Therefore, there is a big difference between love and lust. Lust is the deepest region of darkness, whereas love is brilliant as the sun. Srila Prabhupada actually came 
to the West to teach us how to love. Everybody is hankering for love. Everybody wants to love somebody and everybody wants to be loved by somebody. That, that craving is there in every living even the most ferocious animals also display this love. A lion loves its cubs. A snake loves its babies. Love their babies. Like snakes are ferocious, like when the the eggs incubate and the baby, the baby snakes are there and the mother snake just guards them going around so that nobody can come and harm them. In the Vedic scriptures it has been pointed out that Wherever there is a living entity, wherever there is a spirit soul, along with spirit soul, three things are always present. Wherever there is a spirit soul, there is consciousness. Wherever there is a spirit soul, there is desire and but when a living entity comes to the material nature, we are originally, we are from the spiritual world. We are spiritual beings. But when we come to this material nature, losing our right to remain in the spiritual world, then our consciousness flows towards the direction of this material nature. We are from the spiritual world, we came to this material nature and our consciousness now flows towards the material direction. This has been described as a spirit soul when he comes in contact with the material nature he loses his actual spiritual characteristics. I will go to that afterwards, what the characteristics are. But losing the spiritual characteristics, which is predominantly being subordinate to Krishna. Our spiritual nature is, our inherent constitutional position is that we are subordinate to the Supreme Personality of God. But when we come in contact with the material nature, we come across the inferior quality, inferior nature of the world. But because we are coming from the superior nature, coming across this inferior nature, we develop a tendency to lord over. Because it's a natural tendency of a superior to lord over the inferior. 
So we are coming from the spiritual worlds and we are coming into the inferior material nature. Therefore, we naturally develop, naturally develop a tendency to lord over this material nature. And that tendency actually gives us the first covering of material nature, the covering of false ego. False ego means mistaken identity. Our actual identity is that we are, ser we are servants of Krishna. But forgetting that we are servants, here we develop an identity or, or attitude of lording over. So that gives us the first covering of false ego. False ego is a material element. It's a subtle material element. We get the covering of false ego. Then we begin to plan how we are going to exploit this material. That gives us a second covering of matter, intelligence. And then through the medium of mind, through the agency of the mind, our consciousness constantly flows towards the material direction. So in this way we get our first three coverings of three subtle elements, mind, <coughs> intelligence and falsehood. With that, we develop a subtle body. The spirit soul then develops a subtle body with this three made of three or constitutes of three material subtle elements. And then according to the shape of the subtle body, material nature, mother nature, gives us a gross body, this body, made of five gross elements, namely earth, water, fire, air, and ether. <coughs> and in this way, we get entrapped in this material nature through these two types of material. Subtle body and the gross body. And through this body, we try to enjoy this material nature. Our consciousness now constantly flows towards the material direction constantly planning, constantly craving to enjoy this material nature by gratifying our senses. So this body is actually a network of senses. There, are, there is a wonderful arrangement of senses which is a network of nervous system. Through the nerves, our consciousness is actually flowing. And this nervous system ends into five senses. Eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch. All our nerves are actually ending in these five sense, sense organs. Skin, Nose, and olfactory senses, ears, tongue, and eyes. And through these senses, we are perceiving the external world, and we are constantly trying to enjoy 
ourselves, by gratifying ourselves. But this is actually an illusory or a very tricky arrangement. We are thinking that through by gratifying our senses we are going to enjoy but the result actually is the ultimate reaction of that is the more we try to enjoy the more we end up suffering so this tendency to enjoy our by gratifying our senses is actually called lust but that's what is going on in the name of love in this material nature but the very scripture is very clearly pointing out that that is not actually love, that is lust. Through lust, we get suffering. Through love, we get joy. The real enjoyment actually comes from love. Now what is love? Again, if we go back to the very source for information, then we find out that love is an energy. Inherent with the spirit soul. As I pointed out, wherever there is a spirit soul, we we'll find consciousness. Right? Or let's put it the other way around. Wherever we see consciousness, we have to conclude that there must be a soul. So consciousness is an inherent characteristic of the soul. The consciousness naturally desires. So consciousness and desire are interlinked. Wherever there is consciousness, there is desire. And we desire for what? Actually, we desire our, our desire is for love. We desire things that we want, that we love. So this love is actually an energy, a spiritual energy that is inherent with the spirit. So this energy must have a purpose. What is the purpose of this energy called love? Love is the energy that unites. Through love we become united. Through hatred we become separate. We become divided. Love unites, hatred separates. The, the factor that is diametrically opposed to love is what? Separates. So that's why we see love means what? A craving, a desire to become connected to someone, to become united with someone. Now who is the actual object that we want to be united with? Now let's get into that. We all are spirit souls. These spirit souls are very tiny, minute parts and parcels of the Supreme Spirit, the Supreme Personality. God, Krishna, is the source of all the souls. Just as the rays of light come from the sun, similarly all the souls are coming out 
So in this way, we are parts and parcels of Krishna. Now, the fulfillment of the existence of the part lies in its connection with the whole. Like for example, this finger is a part of my body. As long as this finger is connected to the body, the finger is very important. The moment the finger is cut off from the body, does the figure have any significance that has happened in value? Does it have any utility? <coughs> we just throw it away. So the, per the existence, the utility or the purpose of the existence of a part lies in its connection to the whole. Now we all are parts and parcels of Krishna. Now what actually causes us to be connected to Krishna or to be linked with Krishna? To love. Love is the factor that unites with Krishna. So in this material nature what happens? We look away from Krishna. How did we come to the material nature? Somehow or other we just looked away from Krishna. Krishna Bhuli Shaiji Anadi or Krishna Bohid Mukhoya Bhogavan Chapa. This is from Chaitanya Charitamrita. Say, a living entity turning his face away from Krishna, Bohid Mukhoya, Mukh means face, Bohid means external. Looking when we turn our face away from Krishna and develop our desire to enjoy through sense gratification. Nikodrasto Maya Krishna's external energy Maya, which is standing just next to it, immediately grasps the So, the cause of our falling into the material nature is somehow or other, somehow or other, because we don't really know how it happened. We should not waste our time thinking how it happened. Progress is going to waste your time. Because from this, this platform you'll never be able to understand. Because the cause of our fall down is not in this concept of time. It is in the spiritual sky. Therefore, unless and until you go back to the spiritual sky, we will never understand how we felt the material But the reality is we are here and we should go back. Now the one consideration is how we are going to go back to Krishna. So, Somehow or other, living entity turned his face away from Krishna. And away from Krishna means Krishna's external energy. There are only two directions. Towards Krishna or away from Krishna. Towards Krishna is Krishna's internal energy. Away from Krishna is Krishna's external energy. And we are the marginal. Living entities are Krishna's marginal. Marginal in the sense, like a living entity can either be in the spiritual sky or it can be in the material nature. When we look towards Krishna, we will be in Krishna's internal potency. But when we somehow or other look away from Krishna, then what we see? We see Krishna's external energy. And external energy is inferior. And as I mentioned earlier, because we are coming from Krishna's internal potency, so we are superior 
we develop this tendency to Lord hope. But the result is Bhogavat Nikatasko Maya Dari Jagodiyata. Krishna Bohimukhuya Bhogavan Chakari Nikatasko Maya Dari grabs it, holds it very tight. And what does Maya do? Inflicts pain. It's a kind of punishment. Looking at it from Krishna was a crime. And as a result of that crime, we are being punished. And the more we try to enjoy, more we go away from Krishna, the more we suffer in this material. So that's the punishment. But the punishment has a purpose. What is the purpose? The purpose is to turn towards Krishna. Maya or Krishna's external energy is punishing us, inflicting all kinds of pain and suffering and miseries upon us so that we can turn our face back to Krishna. And what we cause our face to turn towards Krishna? That is love. We want to love somebody. But who is the actual object of our love? The actual object of our love is Krishna. But when we are oblivious of Krishna, when we are forgetful of Krishna, then what happens? Our heart is full of love and we want to offer that love to somebody, but we do not know what who to offer to. Therefore, we are looking for different persons and different objects to offer that love. But no matter wherever we offer our love, our heart doesn't become because they, those objects are not the real <coughs> recipient of our love. The real object is Krishna. And Srila Prabhupada came to teach us who is the real object and how to offer our love to him. And by offering our love to him, we develop our ultimate goal of love we reach the ultimate goal of life. That means the goal of life is joy. Everybody wants to be happy. Not really. Everybody wants to be happy, but happiness is not the ultimate goal. What is happiness? Happiness is cessation of we are in a painful state of existence. And when that pain is reduced to some extent, we call it happiness. We are in a painful state, we are in a miserable condition, and when the pain is reduced to some extent, we call it happiness. In the material nature, that's what we are constantly trying to do. We are always trying to avoid suffering. We are always trying to avoid difficulties. And when we are successful in avoiding that painful situation, we consider we are happy. But actually what we want is joy. We want to enjoy this there are two specific terms for that. The Sanskrit word for happiness is suk. Suk 
is considered to be material. It's a factor of material nature. When our miserable condition is reduced to some extent, when we are successfully able to avoid the suffering condition, we consider we are happy. But our actual state of existence is miserable, suffering. But joy is diametrically opposed to suffering. Like if suffering is darkness, then joy is light. <coughs> so the spiritual world is full of joy. The characteristic of the spiritual world is Sat, Chit, Ananda. Spiritual world is sat, eternal. Spiritual world is full of consciousness, fully conscious, full of knowledge. And spiritual world is full of joy. So that joy is experienced or achieved when we develop our relationship with Krishna. Now how do we do that? By offering a love to now, the consideration is, do we have to love Krishna? Or, is it that we have to develop that love? No. Krishna already loves us. Krishna loves us. But love is a, is a reciprocal thing. Love is a two-way traffic. Both the parties have to love. Then only the love is gone. Otherwise, the love is incomplete. If one party loves, the other doesn't, then that love is not going to be fulfilled. Now, in this case, Krishna already loves us. It's we that are not reciprocating that. But when we do that, then that love becomes. Love becomes real. Now let us consider whether that fact, the point that I made, that Krishna already loves us. Let us consider where are getting all the food that we are eating? Who is supplying us all the food? The food, if you consider, the food is coming from trees and plants. Like a seed falls on the ground and a tree comes out from that and in the tree there are fruits, there are food. And in the, in the fruit there are innumerable seeds. And in those seeds there is a possibility of a tree. In those trees there are innumerable fruits. In those fruits there are innumerable seeds. Now who made this energy? And endless supply of our food. Who made this energy? Krishna. Does anybody have any doubt about that? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so why did he make this arrangement for us? Because he loves us. Just consider the more important than food is actually water. And although the about three-fourths of the planet is water, but still that water, the water in the ocean, 
is not drinkable or usable. It's salt But by the arrangement of the rays of the sun, heat of the sun, that salt water is evaporated and forms into cloud. The cloud is distributed all over through the wind. And then the condensation takes place and distilled water in the form of rain comes down, fills up all the reservoirs of water. Who made this arrangement? <laughs> Krishna. Why did he make this arrangement? Thank you. <laughs> okay, now, water is important, but even more important is air. air. Without breathing, we can't stay for more than a few minutes, maybe not even a few minutes. But we are taking oxygen and giving out carbon dioxide. Now if the process continues, then the whole atmosphere will be filled with carbon dioxide and they won't have any oxygen left. But did it ever happen? No. Why not? Because the trees and plants are taking carbon dioxide and giving out oxygen. Who made this arrangement? For an endless supply of oxygen for us? Who made this arrangement? Krishna. Why? <laughs> Just consider the shape of the earth is round. Like an orange. <laughs> and we are situated inside the earth or on the surface of the earth? Surface of the earth. And the earth is moving with a tremendous speed of a thousand kilometers an hour. Now if there is some object on top of a round surface and if, the, if that round thing moves, then what will happen? It will get thrown out. So that is how our situation is. We are on the surface of the earth. Earth is round and earth is moving at a tremendous speed. But did it ever happen that we got thrown out into that atmosphere no. or space? No. Why not? Because there's gravity. Because of gravity. Thank you, Krishna, <laughs> for providing us with some valuable information. <laughs> because of the gravity. Who created this gravity? Krishna. Why did he do that? Because he has Okay, the earth is moving at a tremendous speed and we are situated on the surface of the earth. If the earth stops for a moment, what will happen? Even for a fraction of a moment. If the earth stops, the entire creation, entire planet will be destroyed in no time. Did it ever happen? Why not? Because Krishna made the arrangement that it will never stop. The movement of the earth never ends since time in the world. 
Why did he do that? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. So now you consider uh, whether Krishna loves us or not. Krishna loves us. Now, a young boy loves a beautiful young girl, but the girl doesn't respond. <laughs> How will the boy feel? He naturally feels terrible. But if someday the girl says, he sends a note saying, I love you, how will the boy feel? Huh? He'll jump with ecstasy, he'll start dancing with ecstasy. <laughs> so Krishna similarly is waiting for us to respond to his love. He loves us. So naturally he wants us to respond to his love. And when we do that, then immediately Krishna becomes so happy. So this process of developing our relationship with Krishna is as simple as telling him, I love you Krishna. And then we cannot even imagine how Krishna is going to respond. That's how wonderful and how simple this process is. All we have to do is tell Krishna, Krishna, I love you. And the way to tell Krishna, I love you is Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare That is the devotional service. A way to express our love for Krishna to first through these words, Krishna I love you. Hare Krishna Mahamantra is actually actually implying Krishna I love. This Hara aspect is the personification of love for Krishna. Therefore we take shelter of that. That Allah giving potency, the pleasure giving potency of Krishna. And taking shelter of her, we want to approach Krishna. It's not all, we don't want to approach Krishna directly. We approach Krishna through somebody who Krishna loves the most. And when we take shelter of her, then she engages us in Krishna's service. She takes us to Krishna. And tells Krishna, Krishna, this soul loves me. And then all our suffering condition is immediately And we become submerged in an ocean of joy. An ocean of joy that continuously keeps on increasing. So that is the process of Krishna consciousness. 
so simple, so easy to achieve, yet so inconceivably lofty. So the reward is so inconceivably great. So this is the gift that Srila Prabhupada came to give to this world and by accepting this gift of Srila Prabhupada we can receive the greatest good fortune that we can ever imagine. Thank you all very much. Always to Srila Prabhupada. Does anybody have any question? Yes? It was a, that was a good lecture. I think about life, I think about love, and I think about lust. My question is, a couple that is married and that actually has been initiated and a part of you know, Krishna's uh, devotion and their disciples, man and woman, isn't it acceptable to Krishna for the love and lust between those two couples exclusively and only? Yeah, yeah. Very good point, yeah. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to elaborate a little more. You see, yes, the love for Krishna, the love is for Krishna. And then that love for Krishna is reflected onto different other living. In a way, those who are devotees of Krishna, that love is reflected in the form of friendship. Those who do not know Krishna, this love for Krishna is reflected to them, in them, in the form of compassion. And those who do not love Krishna, those who are offensive to Krishna, this love is reflected on them in the form of disregard. Now, you see, love is for Krishna. But with other devotees or, as you said, husband and wife, there is love, but that love is not that pure love which is meant to be offered to Krishna. One sees his wife in the form of when his love is reflected onto his wife, in the form of companionship and friendship, to serve Krishna together. And the physical union that they have, that is not actually love. That is an, a process for procreation. It is a necessity. The union between man and woman is a necessity to produce children, to create progeny. Is meant for procreation. 
Not only in a, in a human being, even in animals. The purpose is to procreate. But somehow the human being have been, you see animals are controlled by nature. Whereas the human being has this free will. And the human being has the freedom to decide when he wants to unite with opposite sex. That is the freedom, but that doesn't mean that he should do it indiscriminately without any purpose. The purpose actually is Thank you. Any other questions? Yes. Yeah. If I tell Krishna, uh, Krishna, I love you, I feel like I'm cheating Krishna because I know there's still lust in my heart. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> it may be there, but as long as you are telling Krishna, even even if the child, uh, without understanding, say, my mother, mommy, mommy, I love you. How does the mother feel? So similarly, even without properly understanding the meaning of it, purpose of it, if we just say Krishna, I love you. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Krishna Another way of looking at it is, Krishna saying, you chant Hare Krishna. Krishna told us, Krishna said, you chant. And when he sees that we are chanting, how will Krishna feel? He will happy, he will favorably disposed. So therefore, doesn't matter whether you understand the meaning or not, let's just keep on chanting. And Krishna will respond, Krishna will respond. That's why Prabhupada used to say, you take one step towards Krishna. Krishna will take hundred steps, thousand steps, billion steps to come and meet you. So we just depend upon Krishna and leave it up to him. When he wants to pick us up, let him decide for himself. On our part, we say Krishna and depend upon him. Yes, Jadavi? As aspiring devotees, we know that one of our greatest gifts is with us, with Krishna, and we have a responsibility with that to share that gift with others. So often in our dealings in preaching, we have people approaching us and wanting friendship and wanting to share all of their material identifications and desires and experiences. My question is, time is limited, especially for some of us who are a little older you know, in this lifetime. We know we don't want to waste that time, but yet we have compassion. We can't go always into direct preaching like Prabhupada until we become so expert. So do we spend that time listening so they can talk about these experiences and successes which usually are temporary because a few months later they're calling with a different, now I'm this, now I'm that. <laughs> so how can we best benefit our friend, this new friend who may want to be a friend with a devotee and we want to see them as devotees, but how can we best respond to help yeah. them and ourselves? Yeah. Actually, Prabhupada wanted all of us to preach. And in that respect, Prabhupada said, just like birds, there's some birds, like sparrows, they just fire on the courtyard. 
Some birds will fly from one country to another. Some birds will fly from one planet to another, one continent to another. And some birds will fly from one planet to another. So similarly, according to our ability, we should preach. If my ability is limited, if I'm like a sparrow, then let me just preach around my neighborhood and my, to my friends. But if I'm like Garura, then I can fly from one planet to <laughs> But Prabhupada wanted us to preach. And regarding that, I often think of one example. Prabhupada was in India at that time, and Shamsundra Prabhu and Maruti Mataji were with Prabhupada. Shamsundra Prabhu was Prabhupada's secretary, and uh, they had their little daughter Saraswati with them. <coughs> and so one day, some very important person, probably a minister, came to see Shri Prabhupada. And while he was waiting, uh, Saraswati was talking. We were waiting for Shri Prabhupada to come. And then Saraswati asked him, Do you know Krishna? So this person <laughs> kind of playfully said, No, I don't know Krishna. So Saraswati said, Oh, you don't know Krishna? Krishna is the supreme person of <laughs> And Prabhupada said, This is in Krishna consciousness, even a child can preach to a minister. You don't know Krishna, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of If you just know that much, just go and tell that to people. To preach, you don't have to be a big scholar. To preach, what we actually need is conviction. That Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And if you develop your relationship with Krishna in your life, Yes. The other side of this question that I was trying to express is we have compassion. We know that it took us years to become devotees. Our gurus listened and tolerated and showed us and directed us expertly. So people call us. We have family members who want to do with us different things that are different than Krishna consciousness. They want to tell us their stories and their experiences. How much listening do we need is, is required to be able to say, I'm a compassionate person, I care about you, before we actually say enough is enough, I'm not wasting my time now. We don't want to insult them, we want them to continue to come. It will depend on how polite you want to be. Uh, <laughs> and Prabhupada, what would he have done? In these situations? Is it uh, an expert preacher knows how to say and when to say. <laughs> Therefore, you see that sometimes Prabhupada would listen with absolute patience. And sometimes Prabhupada would even let the person finish his words. He <laughs> 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 start laughing. <laughs> and it had this effect. I mean, sometimes it, had, it so happened that we felt, oh, Prabhupada had been so heavy. You know, this person would never come. But then I have seen that he became a devotee. So this is Prabhupada's spiritual potency. He knew how to reach the, the inner cause of the spiritual spirits. Thank you, sir.
so become expert in resilience. Yes. Thank you. So you. Much. Yes, Prabhupada. Yeah, but if that act is ultimately for expressing your love for Krishna, Krishna will. Krishna said that Tadaham Bhakti Uparhitam Ashnami Patram Pushpam Palam Toyam. You offer some leaves flowers, some fruits, or even some water or milk. Jome Bhakta when it is offered with devotion, with love, tad aham bhakti uparitam ashnami. That I accept that love. This, what is offered through these fruits and flowers, etc., is actually love. And that love Krishna is. Now, if it is offered with love and in the process of you preparing it, you have been rushing due to some other responsibility. Krishna will understand. After all, Krishna is Antaryami, Krishna is Krishna is seeing us from within ourselves. And on top of everything, Krishna is not a fault finder. Radha Krishna only takes the love as well. Yes? Um, how, uh, well, actually I wanted to say, you know, how children have imaginary friends. Well, over the, year, over the years, I've developed imaginary BMW because sometimes <laughs> people come at me with their negative energy. And, uh, you know, so I back up and make a U-turn. So I guess sometimes I wonder, how do you know to distinguish? Because sometimes people may be coming at with you with negative energy, but they may actually need your help. And sometimes people may be coming to you with negative energy, and they're just not good for you. So how do you distinguish? Sometimes I rely on intuition, but then sometimes I feel like I'm wrong. Uh, well, before that, I just ask, before answering the question, I just ask you, how involved are you with this car? Is the first time you came? No, I, I followed the Buddhist tradition, but there are some aspects of this kind that I yeah. really like, so I come to. You see, our concept, as I was trying to explain, is that love is for Krishna. And when we love Krishna, then that love is reflected on different individuals in a different way. Mainly in the form of friendship, in the form of compassion, and in the form of disregard. So, the, so what I see, you can deal with a person in two different ways. How the person is reacting to you, accordingly you can, but that exchange is material. Or the other way is through Krishna, how Krishna is looking at that person and how does Krishna want me to react to him. 
So that is when you put Krishna in the center, then it is a spiritual relationship. And I would suggest that whenever you deal with somebody, try to put Krishna in the center and see how Krishna wants you to react to that person. And that will simplify the situation considerably. On the other hand, if you react, then it will depend upon how the person is acting towards you and your reaction will be to, to the modes of nature. We act, we react according to the modes of nature. The nature, there are three modes of nature that are influencing us. And accordingly we act in different ways. Like say for example, you are trying to cross the road and a bicycle comes and hits you. Now, a person who is in the mode of ignorance, being hit by the bicycle will start to cry. <laughs> the person who is in the mode of passion, he'll just get up and start beating beating the <laughs> And a person in the mode of goodness will just brush the dust from his shirts and he'll say, don't worry, it was my fault, I should have looked. To see the same action is responded by three different people in three different ways due to the influence of the rules. And if, but the thing is, when you are Krishna conscious, then you will react in which way? You will say that not only you will say, well, don't worry, it's not your fault, but you will say, Krishna wanted me to go through this experience, so let me learn something about it. So that is even beyond the modes of material transcendence. Yes? Thank you for a wonderful lecture. Um, you explained so clearly how it's obvious that Krishna loves us and how simple devotional service is. But sometimes we, we find difficulty in practicing devotional service um, and we hesitate to give ourselves fully to devotional service. Um, sometimes just based on trying to stop enjoying nature, material nature, but sometimes because when we're going through that struggle we don't feel that Krishna is reciprocating with us or in the way that we expect him to. So is that lack of faith in Krishna's love or is that just us not perceiving how Krishna is? Very good. Thank you. Uh, you see, when we start the process of devotional service, initially it is in the practice, we are in a practicing stage. So in the practicing stage, you know, sometimes we are excited, we are enthusiastic, sometimes our enthusiasm wins, sometimes we are even feeling like, you know, not doing it at all. It is because, you know, we didn't really get the taste of Krishna consciousness or we did not achieve the perfection of the process, perfection of the process of Krishna consciousness. But when you develop the, when you achieve perfection and then you actually get the taste. Like, say for example, you know, this loving exchange with Krishna is not an artificial imposition of the mind. It is not imaginary, it is real, Krishna reciprocates, and you feel that. 
And that loving exchange is so relishable, so wonderful, that once you get the taste of it, you can't give it up. The difficult phase is the practicing stage. That time, you know, like, it's difficult. Like, do you know how to ride a bicycle? How did you learn? By falling down. By falling down. Now, when you fell down, when you stumbled, if you gave up, could you ever learn to ride a bicycle? No. Therefore, don't give up. Even there is difficulty in the process, even if our enthusiasm wanes, even if we are facing so many hurdles and so many difficulties, we shouldn't give up. We should keep practicing. And leave it up to Krishna. How long it takes, we don't care. But now I found the process. Now let me not ever deviate. That should be our objective. That should be our Thank you. Yes. Thank you for the wonderful explanation of that consciousness concept. You know that famous metaphor, body is the chariot, soul is the passenger, and the intelligence is the driver. Forces are the senses, and the reins are the mind. Where does consciousness fit into that? The self is the consciousness. The soul, self, the chariot here is the soul. Yeah, the passenger, right. The, he, is the, he is the soul, spirit soul. And the, and, and the consciousness is coming from that spirit and, uh, and in the perfect situation, when you take the devotional service, you give the rain to Krishna. So intelligence uh, is replaced by Krishna. Otherwise, in material nature, what we are trying to do, we are trying to drive the chariot ourselves. As you just described, the horses are the senses, Rain is the mind, and the chariot here, chariot driver is the intelligence. So, you see, but our intelligence is how it has been described. The chariot, chariot here doesn't know how to drive the chariot. Therefore, what happens? You know, the the horses, uncontrolled, take into a dangerous situation. Now, if you give the rain to Krishna, just as Arjun did then you can be perfectly happy. So consciousness is depending upon the Supreme Consciousness. Consciousness is coming from the soul and the Supreme Controller is Krishna. Thank you. Uh, there was some, yes? Go and preach to him. <laughs> Tell him, Prabhu, you are such an advanced devotee, you should be at this. <laughs> yeah. Don't feel shy. Isn't it? Or my point is, try to you know, develop a you know, amicable, congenial relationship and avoid that tension. Discord is not desirable at any point. We should, especially in Krishna consciousness, we should try to develop harmonious, harmonious relationship with everybody. 
or if you cannot do it directly yourself, then uh, you take the help of some other devotees. The main point is when someone is not behaving properly, he should be correct. Yes? In the same way in relationships, but this time somebody is uh, close friend, but they're not developing interest in Krishna consciousness, or you are you know, more interested in advancing a little more, so how do we deal with that situation, that relationship? I mean, it's naturally coming apart, but you obviously, it's been a close friend to you, so you obviously have Well, it will depend upon the, upon the individuals, like, you know, the main point is that we should try to bring everyone. We should, especially when somebody goes away or drifts away from Krishna consciousness, we must try to revive his Krishna consciousness and bring him back. How we do that will depend upon, you know, the situation and the individual. Like I was saying, that preaching is an art. Like with some people, they have to be patient. If you go and tell them that, look, why are you doing this? Then probably they'll become resentful. They'll not even want to come and see you. So in such a case, what do you do? You befriend him and try to bring him back. Be patient. So it's not like you avoid the person or avoid like, how do you deal with If you feel that the, that person's influence <coughs> association or influence may harm you or is detrimental to your Krishna consciousness. Yes, they have But if you feel that he can be brought back to Krishna consciousness by your association, then try to do that. By the way, uh, in New Vrindavan I was looking for you. I wanted to thank you for playing the chair. Because you play so beautifully. Very talented, very talented chairman. Where did you learn? Fifteen years ago. <laughs> where? <laughs> oh, where? In Puerto Rico. Oh, is it? Then I can study here in Philadelphia as well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So then what does the doctor do? The doctor waits 
for the patient to come to a situation when it becomes so critical that he himself is going to turn to his doctor and say that please help me, please help me. So as preachers, I think sometimes we have to we have to wait for that situation when the person will come to a critical point and seek for your help. Because I mean some you know, again, as I said, like, a, you know, it's a, every case is different. We can't just give a, you know, one across the board formula, you know. So, we have to see how effective we are going to be in presenting Krishna consciousness and how receptive he is going to be. <laughs> yes, Anjali. Why don't you explain how the subtle body is purified? If you tell in the details of the process of the purification through devotional service of like the Yeah, okay. Purified intelligence process of purification. Yeah, okay. The other question is that uh, I mentioned about the subtle bodies. We have two types of material bodies. One is the gross body, which is this one made of five gross elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether. And there is a, we have a subtle body made of mind, intelligence, and falsehood. So that's also a body, mind consisting of mind, intelligence, and falsehood. The gross body at some point dies. It's finished. And we are free from that bondage of the gross body. At death, the gross body dies and we are free from that bondage. But the subtle body doesn't die. Even after death, the subtle body doesn't die. Subtle body doesn't die, but the subtle body can be transformed and made into <coughs> or spiritualized. You see how? It is only by the process of devotional service that we can transform our subtle body or spiritualize our subtle body. That is, when the mind, whose business is to think, when the mind is constantly engaged in thinking about Krishna, then the mind becomes spiritual. Meaning, the mind Material mind is finished. If the mind can always think of Krishna, then it is not material. It, that material mind, a mind is finished. It's spiritualized. As I said, it can be transformed. It, it cannot be destroyed. It can be transformed. So the mind is spiritualized by thinking about Krishna. Then Krishna is saying in Bhagavad Gita, that when one constantly thinks of me, Tesham Satata Yuktanam, Bhajatam Priti Purvakam, and renders loving service unto me, then I give him Buddhi Yogam, spiritual intelligence. So his intelligence is transformed by Buddhi Yogam, a devotion. 
And in this way, when one becomes engaged in serving Krishna all the time, when one becomes a servant of Krishna, his false ego is finished and he has become situated in his constitutional position. So in this way, you see, his subtle body consisting of mind, intelligence and false ego is gone. So then, it is the pure spirit soul that is dwelling in that apparently material body. I am saying apparently material body because Prabhupada said that at that stage, that body is not really material. For example, when the iron becomes red hot in contact with fire, is it iron or fire? Fire. fire. So similarly, uh, at that stage what actually happens is that the pure spirit soul is residing in the apparently material, gross material body without the subtle body. So that stage is called Jivan Mukta stage or Swarup Siddhi. Swarup, one is situated in his spiritual life. But then when he leaves the gross body, this gross body is a gift of nature, mother nature. And it is up to her when she will free us from this body. So when one becomes free from this bondage of the gross body, then he goes back to the spiritual sky. The pure spirit soul goes back to the spiritual sky. And that stage is called Vastusi. The substance that he is, gone back to that substance. Is it clear? <laughs> Thank you.